Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. I have a friend of mine from Texas. I've been sharing Christ with him forever. Uh, no, that's, that was an exaggeration. I've been sharing Christ with him for quite some time. Since I became a believer, he's probably one of the nicest persons I've ever known. And, and he fluctuates from, he doesn't go to church, he can't find a, a pastor that he really appreciates in Texas. And, and I told him, there's got to be so many great ones. And, and he says he's accepted the Lord, and yet he won't go to church. And, and So he asked me today, when I, I talked to him on the way to, to, to church, I talked to him all the time. I, I absolutely love him. I call him Elvis. <laughs> call him Elvis for Elvis Presley. I don't know why I call him that. I call him Elvis. And so I said, Elvis, I said, how are you doing? We call, talk to each other. And he, in the midst of our talking, he always asked me, how is the church doing? And I said, well, we're doing really well, thanks. He says, what book are you in now? And he asks me that a lot, you know. And I said, I'm still in the book of Acts. He said, you're still in the book of Acts? And he says, where, what, what, what part of it? I said, well, we're in the 17th chapter. He said, how long are you going to stay in that book? And I said, Gosh, uh, maybe another year. I don't know. And there's that pregnant pause as he's wondering, what could you say out of that one book that takes so long? And he listens on, on, on the Internet whenever he can. And, and I'm watching God move in the lives of different people. A few weeks back, I, I won't mention who I know for certain that the family where it took place is not, they're not here this evening, at least. But there's a gentleman in the family that's dying. Really dying. And uh, there's just, just a matter of time. And he has completely fought against his trust and belief in Christ. He just can't put it together. Two and two does not come back and calculate to four to him. There's just so much that, um, that goes beyond his mind of accepting Christ. And I've shared Christ with him as much as I know how. And a couple weeks ago, you know, we had the service on when, when the jailer said to, to Paul and, and to Silas, Sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? Remember I told you that bring a friend. It might be a real evangelistic time for us as a church. And Paul says, you know, believe believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you, you'll be saved, you and your household. And I made mention in that, if you recall, that Paul never, never asked that gentleman, the jailer, about his past. Because I mentioned to you that that jailer's past is irrelevant. It, it, didn't, it didn't matter to Paul. What mattered to Paul was would that jailer give his heart and believe in Jesus Christ? Well, last week, my wife called me and she said, uh, got an email you might be interested in. So what's that? She read it to me. And it's from that gentleman saying, I, uh, I wanted to walk forward when you asked for an altar call, but I was stubborn. But I wanted you to know that I gave my heart to Christ. And I thought to myself, that's what we're all about. That's why we preach the Word, so that the Word can move within each of our lives, even some people who are really hard-headed and won't 
give in. We won't give in either. We will continue to preach the gospel so that by the grace of God, most of you here are saved, but some of you are not. So by the grace of God, you might come to know the Lord, but for the rest of us, so that we'll see there is a purpose in our lives. There is a reason that we draw breath more than making money and caring for our families, which is extremely important. But there is also this this responsibility that has been given to us who believe in Christ to not only be followers of him, but to equip others so that they might follow. Tonight, our Lord sends Paul and Silas and Timothy, his messengers. He sends them to a part of the world that is ignorant, for the most part, to the things of God. He sends them there to proclaim the truth to this world that is lost. That's how much he loves them. And this action of Paul and Silas and Timothy is often seen when they go into these communities as something that upsets the world and the world's system, a system that is contrary to God's ways. God says, your ways our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. He needs to proclaim those ways and those thoughts to us so that we might understand him. And so Paul and the others go and do just that. And when they do it, it disturbs the comfort of the people. Basically, it disturbs them because it addresses the fact that they are sinners. And therefore, they become upset with what Paul says. And if you look at chapter 17 and verse 5, it says, Some of the Jews became jealous, and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar, coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out, them meaning Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the people. They wanted to, again, put them in jail. Again, they wanted to stop them from proclaiming the very word of God. And by the grace of God, Paul would not stop. They could not intimidate him. Silas would not stop. They could not intimidate him. Timothy is watching Paul and Silas and he will not stop. They will not intimidate him. And I want you and me to look at what God is doing and not stop. But we will do what God's called us to do. Read with me chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Take a look at this man who we know very little of, but we find out a little bit about him tonight. His name is Jason. Verse 1. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse 2 says, According to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths 
he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaiming to you, is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, in verse 5, became jealous. Taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. Coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. It says in verse 8, they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. What we learn about Jason is this is a new convert. I'm going to pray in a minute. Let me set the stage. Jason is a new convert to Jesus Christ, to Christianity. He's a new believer. He, much like Lydia and much like the jailer, convinced Paul and Silas and their group to come and stay in his home. They knew, they, the city people, knew that Paul and Silas were staying with Jason. So they went to his house to seek them. When they couldn't find Paul and Silas in his home, they took Jason and they dragged him, trying to intimidate him. Here is this new convert to Jesus Christ. And what he did was he gave them a pledge. That's a very simple word to say. What it is means he, he went bail for them. He paid so that they wouldn't have to go to jail. Gave them bail. And I'm sure that he promised that if he paid their bail, they would let Paul and Silas leave without doing them any harm. And what Jason found out immediately upon his faith is that it cost him something to believe. And you and I need to understand that. This thing called Christianity that we trust and believe in will always cost us something. And for the pastors that don't preach that, shame on them. They just make it difficult on those of us who do. There is a cost to your following Jesus Christ. And you need to know that. We need to care for the next generation. Now, let's pray. Father, please open up our eyes and our hearts that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Please move me aside, Father. Um, please, dear Father, move me aside. Let us see what it is that you have asked of each of us. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Verse 5, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar. Why? Well, because Paul and Silas were preaching Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. 
Therefore, the Jews who opposed the teaching of Jesus Christ as the Messiah come against Paul and his group as often as they possibly could. They said in verse 6, the last part of verse 6, these men who have upset the world now have come here. These men who have upset the world have come here also. As was the practice of Paul, as I've been teaching you week in and week out, in verses 1 and 2, we saw that when Paul comes into a new city, he always would first go to the synagogue, to the place where he knew he would meet some people who had some idea of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of this universe. He would try to touch their hearts first, allowing them to see that this God, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did as he had promised, sent the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, to live and to die and to raise again from the dead so as to give to all who would believe in him everlasting life. That was the practice of Paul. He would preach first to the God-fearing Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles who also came to the synagogues to hear about this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you looked ahead at chapter 25 of the book of Acts, there was always this response to Paul. Paul was disliked from the very moment he started. First, he was disliked by the believers because he killed so many of them. Then he became disliked by those who he was serving while he was trying to throw all the believers in jail. They now hated him and wanted to do the same thing to him that he was doing to the Christians. And in Acts chapter 24 and verse 5, they say about Paul, we have found this man, talking of Paul, to be a real pest. <laughs> I love it. A real pest, a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. They hated him because he upset their thinking. But I'm going to proclaim to you tonight, they never refuted what he said about Jesus Christ. They couldn't. It was irrefutable. Many, as it says in verse 4 and verse 5, many of the Jews came to believe, but in verse 5, those that didn't started a riot. They opposed the teaching that Jesus is the Christ. That is true to this day. You can get into a very heated debate, if not an argument, with a Jew if you proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. And they wanted to wreak havoc within the community, they meaning the Jews, in the hopes of stopping this new religion, this new church that is beginning to grow within their community. Let me tell you a little bit about where Paul went. He went to a place called Thessalonica. Next, he's going to go to Athens. In this chapter, chapter 17, in the weeks to come, you and I are going to see one of the greatest messages and sermons that's ever been preached. Not tonight. Tonight we're going to see he lays the groundwork here in, in this city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica was along the Inatian uh, way. It was a, 
it was a way, a, a, a path that went from, from Rome to the Orient. And it was, Thessalonica was right by the sea coast. Uh, it was a seaport town. It was about 100 miles from uh, Philippi, where they just left, were thrown out of. Amphipolis was about 30 mile, miles from Philippi, and Apollonia was an additional 30 miles further. So they had traveled quite a way as they came to Thessalonica. The reason that Paul came to Thessalonica, well, all you have to do is to look at history. Thessalonica was one of the wealthiest, most influential cities in all of Macedonia. And the reason it was so influential is it had people coming from every culture, from every place to sell their goods. Thessalonica had a population of over about 200,000 people. And what made, Thessalonica, what made Thessalonica thrive was the Aegean Way. It was the way that extended from Rome all the way to the Orient and went straight through Thessalonica. This highway, along with the coast, what brought in the ships, made Thessalonica one of the wealthiest and most influential trade centers in the world in that day. People came from all over the known world. With people coming from all over the known world, from every place and from every culture, Thessalonica was a melting pot of many religions and many so-called ways to God. It became a natural place for Paul to come and bring the good news of Jesus Christ to that very religious, but, no, no, but nonetheless, lost society because they had not known or heard that much about Jesus Christ. Now note what Paul talks to them about. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. According to Paul's custom, it says in verse 2, he went to them and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from where? Well, of course, from the Scriptures. We have been given orders. We can't just talk philosophically about religion. There is an order that we are to follow. There is rules that we are to, to use when we talk about Christ. So he taught them from the Scriptures. And what he taught them, it says in verse 3, is he explained it and he gave evidence that the Christ had to suffer he had to rise again from the dead, and he said, This Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. In other words, he is the Messiah. He is God, a very God. Paul, like Peter and the rest of the apostles, taught about the resurrection and about repentance. They wanted people to know that they were sinners. That's what Peter would always speak about repent, repent, repent. You need to repent. You are a sinner. You are in need of a Savior. And they then taught about the resurrection, that the Savior that you need is alive. He is none other than Jesus Christ, and He is your only hope. You know, like we said on Easter Sunday, for those that are visiting with us or those that don't come to church all the time, Easter to us who go to church is every single day. Every day we... We worship a risen Savior. 
And so we, we get all, as I said to the people, we get all dressed up. In fact, I wore a suit that day, and, I, and, we, and the, we, there were flowers all over the place, and it looked a little bit nicer. And I said, you know, we dressed this up for you, but Easter to us is all the time. We have a risen Savior whom we love and we worship. Now, what I want to teach you today is a very essential point. Look at verse 4, and I don't want you to miss it. It says, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Joined Paul and Silas meant they bought into all that they were saying that they ought to do concerning the church and concerning their relationship with God. They joined, they bought in with what Paul and Silas were teaching. They, did, they joined in along with, verse 4, the middle of it, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and Here's what I want you to see and not miss. A number of the leading women. Leading women. In the King James, your Bible would say chief influential women. In, in the city where Paul went first, he met a woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple goods, purple fabrics. She was a businesswoman's businesswoman. She was influential. Every place you go and you look, where we see through this study, we're going to see that women, women, women respond to the gospel. Leading women. Women were the core of the church then, just as women are the core of the church today. I wonder, honestly, I wonder, how many of us today, men, would be here if our wives didn't shake up the house, drag us, and the kids out by our ears were going to church. I wonder how many of us guys would be here. Listen, man, by the grace of God Almighty, I am going to succeed or I am going to die trying to make this church a spirit-filled men's leadership church. Now, that does not take anything away from the women because you couldn't stop the women if you tried. But what I want is a church that is led by men who love the Lord God with all their heart and love the women that God has blessed us with. Love them with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our strengths. And that you and me, men, we wake up every morning leading our families towards our walk with Jesus Christ. I want that. Man, I ask you, I ask you, I'm not asking, this is not a rhetorical question. I'm asking you, am I a fool trying to lead you in that direction? Or am I simply butting my head against the wall? Or are you going to help me make that happen? Well, that was a couple of you. Okay, we'll start. I'll start with a couple. But by the grace of God, I am not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop trying to make you men, us men, realize our call before an almighty God. In the meantime, God bless you, ladies. I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. In verse 4, it says that they joined Paul and Silas. means that they, men and women, came to faith. They were baptized. They were actively participating in whatever aspect the church had for them. They were discipled. They were given instructions. And then they taught others. They all participated. Men and women alike. Now Paul's ministry followed a very normal course. 
The gospel was always preached in the synagogues first. We've said that to you over and over again. Here it mentions it very clearly in verses 1 and 2. But there was always just a meager response from the Jews. But the Gentiles, somehow the Gentiles responded in great numbers, both men and the influential women, and probably women who were not so influential. And then, as has been the custom, the non-responding Jews became jealous. Verse 5. They, they, stopped, they started to form mobs so as to stop Paul and to stop Silas. They set their sights on running these quote-unquote Christians out of town. Now, if you look closely, what I said a while ago, the Jewish leadership did not refute the theology of Paul and Silas. They didn't refute the facts about Jesus Christ. They could not. The fact that Jesus Christ lived was, was irrefutable. The, the fact that he went and died upon a cross was irrefutable. The fact that he rose from the dead, he was seen by more than 500 at one time. They could not refute the statement that Jesus Christ lived, that he died, and that he rose from the dead. They did not refute that, which makes them fools to me. Fools. But their jealousy was the popularity of the people who all of a sudden were following after this Jesus Christ. Their motive for causing the riot was rooted in their personal jealousy, not their doctrinal purity. They could not refute the fact that he lived. People try to do that today. They try to make us believe that we are following after some fairy tale. It's not. It is as real as, as, as could possibly be. Jesus rose from the dead. That is irrefutable. So instead of trying to reason with Paul and Silas, they form a mob. They start a riot in the city to try to intimidate the newly found believers. And so they came to this gentleman named Jason. Jason, as I've already said, was a, a Thessalonian convert who, like Lydia and the jailer, gave up his home for Paul and Silas. And he is persecuted because of his faith in Jesus Christ and his association with Paul and Silas. We don't know much about Jason except that he stepped up to the plate when he had to. He cared for Paul. He cared for Silas. More importantly, he cared for his Lord. Jason is just another of so many unsung heroes who faithfully played a part. Whether it was large or small, that was up to the Lord but he played a part to help spread the gospel, just as you and I have the same ability to play a part in helping to spread the gospel. Don't think for a second that God does not want to spread the gospel through our students. They are the next generation. You saw the video. They want to stand up and be counted. I wonder how many parents across these United States of America today are searching for their kids, seeing them lost to drugs, to all sorts of perversion, wouldn't give their right arm, literally, 
to see one of their kids up on that wall saying what this kid said today. Because of Jason's courage, Paul and Silas were able to do more effectively what God called them to do. Listen, church, please don't miss this. As we serve Jesus Christ, to whatever degree God has called you and me to serve, our call is to do what God's asked us to do. We may not receive much attention. In fact, you more than likely will receive grief. But God wants to use you and me so that we might change lives due to, like Jason, our courage, our faithfulness. And so Jason gives a pledge. That meant, it, it meant he posted bail. He gave money for these two so that they could get out of town. And you need to know, and I need to tell you, that following Jesus Christ will often occur a cost of some kind in your life, whether it be your time, whether it be your talent, whether it be your treasure. It'll cost you to follow Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you and I will be famous. It doesn't mean that we will be unharmed. It doesn't mean that we will even be loved in this world in which we live. Some people might hate you. Hate you for your faith. Hate you for your stands for Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you one person that will not hate you, and that's God. He will love you. And you notice how they twist the truth. Look at verse 7. They twisted the truth saying, these guys speak about this king who is trying to usurp Caesar. Verse 7, Jason welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. Listen, Paul and Silas were guilty of calling Jesus Christ king of kings and lord of lords, but they were not guilty of treason against Caesar. No. Kingdom that you and I serve, ladies and gentlemen, tonight here, is not of this realm. It is things that you and I can't see. It is things that are bewildering to us as a people. I don't know if you can see this church of what it's going to be like in 10, 15, 20 years. I'm going to be gone, but I have a thought for it. I think I see it. I believe God wants to bless us. My wife and I said just today, just today, I wish we were younger. Wish we were younger so that we could see what God is going to do in and through this place. Some of you are young enough that you'll remember this old bald-headed guy. I remember he used to preach. He was really cantankerous at times. But he said he saw what we now are experiencing. We need to build this thing so that our kids, we have no excuse. God's moving. We better move with him. Or he'll move elsewhere. That's not a threat. That's just pure facts. Dear Father, may we move with you. May we proclaim the King of kings, the Lord of lords. May we not try to usurp the authority of a government or anything like that. That's not what we're preaching. 
The king whom we follow is not of this world. He's not of this realm. And you, dear Jesus, are doing something here at this church that uh, I don't think any of us really can imagine. I just wish, Father, that uh, I'd be able to see it, but it's okay. It's okay, Father. I don't need to. But I certainly want to be a part of it right now. In this day that I live right now, I want to be a part. I want to help build, Father, what you're doing here. I pray that everybody else would as well. I pray that monies will come in, Father, that that will just boggle our minds. And we'll be able to say thank you to all the people. But more importantly, we'll be able to say thank you to what you're doing through each and every one of us. I pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you folks more than I can ever, ever tell you. Thanks for being here. See you next week. Thanks.